Grace Davidson took her four-year-old granddaughter to big church for the first time. And she sat quietly and she was taking in every aspect of the, of the service and her attentive curiosity stayed in check until the pastor began to pray. And the pastor started his prayer by saying, oh God, we thank you, Lord, and we thank you for your presence. And the little girl's eyes flew open and she whispered over to her grandmother, hey, nanny, we're all getting presents today. No, there are no presents for you here today. But I am going to bring a story from God's word that I, I think will be a challenge to all of us. Think of someone in your mind who has been through a lot of junk in life, more than most of us, and despite overwhelming challenges and odds, problems continued and they persevered. Here are just a few folks that in spite of overwhelming circumstances, they chased their lions, and I'll talk about that in a minute. There's a guy named Ken Benham. His mother was killed, and he was orphaned, and he lost his legs to a train accident when he was a little bitty boy, and cause wouldn't allow his mother's death or the loss of his legs to keep him down, and he ended up being one of the best high school football players ever in his state. Eli Weasel, interesting name, isn't it? He's a Nobel Prize winning author. He witnessed and personally experienced the atrocities of the Nazis, and he lost his immediate family while living in death camps. He refused to let the lion of ethnic hatred and oppression make him bitter, so he became an author and a writer, and he lived his life. Maybe you've seen this lady, this is Sheila Walsh. She's a women of faith speaker and former CBN co-host. She was admitted to a psychiatric hospital during a major bout with clinical depression, but she did not let it cripple her from telling God's story in words and songs. Even to this day, she's a featured speaker throughout the country. I read a story some years ago about the parents of these parents had a little girl a little girl was taken hostage and she ultimately was murdered in Pennsylvania. And instead of harboring bitterness, these folks decided that they would practice forgiveness to the killer of their own child. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I could do that. It was a lady who had her children taken away from her because of her drug addiction. And she was routinely physically abused by her husband. Today, she serves as a co-director of the Christian Residential Ministry Caring for Abused Women. Her power of prayer for the salvation for her violent and abusive ex-husband is a powerful testimony of grace and forgiveness. Lion chasers don't give in. Their stories don't always end in victory, but they refuse to run away. They refuse to quit. I mean, you can go on, Helen Keller. You can go on story after story after story of people who had no sight or had no feel or had major disease. And yet God would use them in major ways. Most of, a lot of people have experienced multiple challenges that taken alone would cripple the average person. So what is so unique about these people that drives them 
that motivates them, that, that keeps their motor running, well, they're lion chasers. The idea of being a lion chaser is based on an Old Testament story of a lesser-known character called Beniah. The Bible just has one sentence. He chased down a lion in a snowy pit and killed the lion. He chased a lion down a pit on a snowy day and killed it. He tracked it. He found it. He tracked it. God sent him to the pit. He killed the lion on a snowy day. And what did you do this week? <laughs> In the scriptures, there are all kinds of people who faced horrific challenges, circumstances, but refused to run. And I want to talk about just one such person that chased those lions. Let's look at Genesis chapter 45, verse 12 through 15. It's the story of Joseph, who had every opportunity to run, but he chased his lions. And Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I, I really am Joseph. It really is me. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced his brother Benjamin and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. Pray with me. God, in just a few moments that we have together, would you inspire us with your word? Would you grant us some insight into Joseph's life that we might find something that we can hang on to tomorrow in spite of the challenges in our world, illnesses, COVIDs, war, inflation, economics, it is an unknown world, but we serve a known God. Let us be a people that chase our lions who don't run at the first sign of adversity, who don't quit, who struggle through the line. They finish the race. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We've all experienced or heard about sibling rivalry, but this takes the cake. I mean, really? Selling your brother into slavery, knowing that he would be carried off into a, a foreign country, lying to your father that brings him unresolved and unending grief. And because of many the stories like this one and many, many others in Scripture, you know, I have a hard time when some therapist or behavioral scientist act as if Dysfunctional families just started in the recent few years. Are you kidding me? Family dysfunction is not new. In fact, look over at your partner and say, I am a dysfunction. Go ahead. I am a dysfunction. You're probably a whole lot more than that, but we ain't got time today. 
it began all the way back in the Adams family. Not the TV Adams family. We're talking about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Joseph and his brothers, on and on and on. Perhaps it's just more prevalent today because we're more aware of it due to technology. But people didn't just suddenly wake up and decide to start living in ways that defy society's norms. I think a lot of us know Joseph's amazing story. His amazing technicolor dream coat, coat made of many colors. But let's recap for some of you who may not be familiar with the story. It's found in Genesis all the way from 37 to 45. It's first and foremost a story about uh, the sovereignty of God. But it's also a story of integrity and faithfulness, character and leadership. He was hated by his brothers because he was the favorite child. He was Jacob's favorite son. He had a gift of interpreting dreams from God. At age 17, he was thrown into a a pit, sold to Ishmaelite traders and bound for Egypt. Ultimately, he was sold as a slave to the captain of Pharaoh's guards, Potiphar. Put in charge, but Potiphar's wife lusted after Joseph and after he repeatedly refused her sexual overtones because of his loyalty to his master, but more importantly, in his words, would be a sin against God. She falsely accused him of raping her anyway. And even though he was innocent, he was thrown into prison. You could say another pit. And while in prison, he accurately interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh's chief baker and cupbearer. One of them promised to remember Joseph and to tell Pharaoh about his plight. But when the time came up to share about Joseph, two years later, he all of a sudden had amnesia and forgot what Joseph had done for him. We're a lot like that sometimes. It's like, what have you done for me lately? We forget what God has done, what God is doing. One day, Pharaoh had a dream that none of his wise counselors could interpret. And the cupbearer remembered Joseph. Oh, yeah, there's a guy sitting in prison, sir. And, and so we'll go get him. And he was brought before Pharaoh and he, he interpreted his dreams. And Pharaoh was so impressed that he put Joseph in charge of his administration. And only Pharaoh himself was placed above him. He went from the pit to the palace in a moment because what God did. Many years later, by divine appointment that only God could set up, his brothers are brought before him during the very famine that, that Joseph had predicted from Pharaoh's dreams. There would be this great hunger in the land, this, you know, basically this famine. And so the brothers, they come into the town, into the palace, and they're looking for food. They want to talk to the leader. They didn't even recognize their own brother. And when he had a chance to return evil with evil, he had a chance to give them nothing in spite of what they had done to him. He provides the food that they need. And ultimately, he reveals himself to their horror and their fear. But he never responds in spite or seeks revenge. He shows an amazing, unconditional love. 
exactly how God shows to us. God shows unconditional love to us when we come to him despite all the ways that we've hurt or rejected him. One day, we're praising God and we're singing songs and lifting hands and lifting voices. The next day, we get some uh, note from a doctor or we hear of a family member that's passed or something tragic has gone on and all of a sudden now we're cursing the same God that we praised yesterday. What happened? God didn't change. We've changed. We had a chance to chase our lions. We decided that the easier route would be just to give up. You think depression is real? It is real. It's the number one anxiety issue in America because we give up too easily. We respond too quickly. But Joseph modeled grace. Maybe we can learn something. So let's consider Joseph's lions. His brothers, the slave traders, Potiphar's wife, and then Potiphar who imprisoned Joseph, the prison itself, just surviving day to day, giving God the glory in the midst of a jail sentence. Sounds a lot like Paul, Silas, Timothy, many other characters. When it was time to, to, they could have given up, they could have given in. They had warned Paul, going into the New Testament, they had warned Paul, do not preach the gospel in this city. We're going to let you out of prison. But don't you do it. He clicked off the shackles. He got on his street clothes. He went right back to the main drag and started preaching. Was he disobedient to the jailer, to the magistrates, but to God he was obedient? When the world tells you no, you go to the one who has the ultimate call. God makes the call. The cupbearer and the baker who had memory problems. Jacob, who doubted his God-given gift of interpretation. Lion chasers recognize that they are part of something bigger than themselves. That together we can accomplish great things. As a church, we can be lion chasers. That individually we can only go so far, do so much. But when we put our resources together, what the Bible calls our spiritual gifts for a building of the kingdom, then it's, you can't imagine what God has for you. The territory that you will go. What pits will you chase your lions and defeat them? There were people who had lions, but they chose not to chase them. The brothers, they, they were full of envy and spite and hatred. I, I don't think you just wake up one day feeling hatred and spite and envy. It is a learned practice. We've become so negative over time that it's just part of who we are. Potiphar's wife lusted after Joseph and she was so angry that he rejected her that 
she accused him of this awful crime. Potiphar, who wrongfully imprisoned Joseph without actually going and looking at the facts, without trusting God. And the cupbearer who lied and reneged on his promise. It took him two years to remember, oh yeah, there's a guy who can interpret, there's a guy who can interpret your dreams. So who chased lions? Now Potiphar, he put a slave in charge of his entire palace. He didn't have to. He wanted to. He felt inspired to. The jailer, he actually empowered Joseph, the cupbearer who finally remembered Joseph, and the Pharaoh who he freed and elevated Joseph. Despite all of the lions, the challenges, the fears, and the problems, Joseph continually and faithfully gave God the credit, sought and served God. Saw the lion, tracked the lion, defeated the lion. I don't know if it was a snowy day, but Joseph stayed on the attack mode. He sought humility. He tracked humility. He found humility. And he kept humility and grace and gave God all the credit. You know, many people I know have grown bitter over the years. And they've even become angry at God over life events that are often the results of decisions that we've made. Author and church minister Ed Rao once wrote a story about a farm family. In his words, he said, when I was young, a neighboring family came down with a devastating illness. Several of the children died and the rest suffered from permanent brain damage. What investigators discovered was that the father had found a truckload of discarded seed corn and he fed it to the family hogs. The corn, not intended for animal seed, had been treated with something so the bugs would not eat it before it germinated. The hogs ate it, seemingly with no ill effects. But when the family hogs became the family breakfast, the family was poisoned. It seems that many substances like pesticides and heavy metals like lead and mercury remain in the body always. And tiny doses, the effects are minimal. But over time, the effects are horrible. That's what happens to all of us. Every day we ingest minute amounts of conflict and disrespect, bitterness and anger and frustration and doubt and by themselves don't mount up to a hill of beans. But over time, they mount up. They mount up. Our hearts become calloused. We become distracted, disinterested, unmotivated. The church is not relevant in the 21st century. I can serve God without going to a church. Where is that in the scriptures? We find our lines when we find them together. I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, I, I may not look it, but I used to be a bodybuilder. Why are you laughing, Hannah? Hannah and Brent 
are two of my kids from college when I was in youth ministry in Evansville, when I was in the, the senior pastor in, in Evansville, Indiana, and they used to be my college kids. They got married. Now their oldest is 11. Another hair just fell out. So I always used to pick on Hannah. Why? What's, what has happened to us? No big deal, we think. We just blow it off, but we don't. Instead, it gets buried in our lives, and 20 years later, we go ballistic over some silly thing that happened, maybe a, a family uh, spousal argument. We just blow up, and where did it come from? Not from that moment. It happened 20 years ago. When unresolved anger and unresolved bitterness, we never let it go. We never gave it to God. Or as Max Lucado says in his He Still Moves Stones in this story where he talks about the man who had the, the bag of rocks on his shoulder. And inside the bag was marked rocks with, with anger and bitterness and frustration and lust and every sin you could imagine. And he came walking down the aisles of the church and he pulled out the bag and he started putting these stones on the, on the platform. And cried out, God, I'm giving all of this to you. I cannot longer handle the sins of this stuff. I cannot handle anymore. And before he left, he picked up every stone, put it up in his bag, and carried it right back out to life. We are so famous for that. Give it to God, take it from God. Give it to God, take it from God. Why wouldn't God just take it? Because that's not who God is. He wants you and I to freely give it to him and then leave it. Well, we just tend to grow bitter over time. But Joseph's lines weren't the result of his own decisions. Some of it was even out of his hands. But look how he responds. Joseph's loving response to his brothers reveals his faithful devotion to God. He deals with his brothers like he would deal with God. That's a life lesson. Maybe from now on, we just treat others like we would want to treat God. Uh-uh, not getting my spot in line. I've been sitting here for 30 minutes. But if God came by, we might say, oh, God, you go right, you go right ahead. That's my parking spot. Especially at Christmas at the Fayette Mall, when you've driven around and around and around, there's spot perfect, someone zips right in, and you want to go, oh, God loves you. Maybe when your child is so annoying that you're ready to pull whatever hair you have left out, and their job is just to wear you down until you surrender. Does that happen to anybody else besides me? We had the grandchildren this week in our house. As little Emma, who's three years old, told her Nana, can I have some juice? And Nana said, we well, better ask your mom. And she said, no, don't ask mom. She'll say no. <laughs> That's been the theme all week in our house. Don't ask mom. She'll say no. Ask Poppy. <laughs> he will give me the juice. Boy, she's got me right there. Joseph's praise for God was not dependent upon his circumstances. He could have been bitter, falsely accused, sold to slavery, 
had to wait two years in prison. I wouldn't want to wait 20 minutes. But he waited. You see, lion chasers recognize and submit to the power and the will of God. In a world where we we want to do it our way, we're all Frank Sinatra's, right? I want to do it my way. The goal of their chase is to ultimately bring God glory, and we need to acknowledge His power. There are regular people who have extraordinary faith. Did you know that God is in, in, put into you the same power, the same will? You could have extraordinary faith that you can be a lion chaser too. Don't be a, a, just a mat in the floor where people walk over you. In loving kindness, take a stand in our society. When everyone else is sharing a crude joke over the water cooler tomorrow, you get up and walk away. You be a lion chaser. Did you know that God cares about you? Just like Joseph, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. But we have to be willing to submit to his way and his will. Bottom line is, what are you afraid of? The Bible says that if God is for us, then who can be against us? But we live like the opposite. We stand in our own way. We battle our own demons. You're going to lose every time. Only God can fight our battles. So let him pour his power into you as you chase your lions, your demons. What keeps you from pressing on? What if you surrendered and just let God work through you and live the life that God had planned for you? Are you a lion chaser? There's a difference between being a lion tamer and a lion chaser. Lion tamers, you know, they have these uh, stools, right? And, and, and they have four legs, so the lion can't exactly sure what's going on. And you see them in the circus. Uh, some of our young kids will never know what this is because they kind of quit doing them, but circuses were really cool once upon a time. And, and, and you can watch old videos of lion tamers and crack the whip and the lions would roar and we actually paid money for tickets to see this. I know, stupid, but we did. And lion tamers are everywhere. I'm going to attack it just at a distance. Don't want to get engaged. Don't want to involve. Now, I'm not going to ask my neighbors to come to church. Uh-uh. Stay away from my family. Stay away from my fence. Stay away from my neighborhood. We've got, I found something when I moved here a few months ago. There's now a, a kind of an uh, internet thing uh, called Neighborhood Watch or whatever, and people send stuff on that all the time. They text stuff on it that so-and-so was seen here and so-and-so was there and be ready for this, and someone got into my car. And people are always telling us about what's going on in their neighborhood. I've not yet one heard someone say, hey, come to my church with me. I've not seen where, can I help you do something? Without it being in fine lights, you know, we're lion tamers. We do just enough to get by. Uh, what do you want? We came to church today. 
We gave a, a few dollars. Lord, Lord. I don't know you. You're a lion tamer. I'm looking for lion chasers. What kind of church do you want to be? Uh, honestly, we're, we're kind of in lion taming mode. Just enough. You want to be lion chasers? Who are we? Let's pray. God, give us the, the power, the strength to, to be a lion chaser. To follow the lines of bitterness and frustration and anger and doubt, unfaithfulness to the pit where it is, to kill it, to leave it, to give it to God, to do more than we can do for God together than we can by ourselves. Give us strength. Give us a new courage. God, forgive us when we we just doubt. And our lack of faith causes us to be cowards when the world needs us to be courageous and God needs us to be courageous. We ask for your forgiveness. Give us strength. Give us the tools and the weapons and thank you for the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword that brings us life and light. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said,